When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, this is Delilah Jones of Imagine Publicity, hosting another episode of Imagine Publicity On Air. I want to introduce the world to an author who's doing his first podcast interview. I'm so proud to bring on Martin Herman, who's had great success with publishing four books, and another is on the way. He's the author of the Will James Mystery Series, and another quite special book written along with his daughter, Amy Herman, titled A Very Special Dress. Hi, Marty. I'm I'm happy to bring you on. And I think out of the gate, let's tell a little background. Tell us a little background about yourself and how you were inspired to become a writer that you are today. Well, first and foremost, I'm a proud father and grandfather, and now I'm in my third career, which is uh, exciting in its own realm. My first career started at eight years of age. I swept floors and I moved boxes in a grocery store. And by my mid-teens, I was supervising others and building sales territories. And by my mid-20s, I guess I was in charge of divisions within really large companies. Uh, My second career was in my late 20s when I began turning troubled businesses around and working with uh, startups and entrepreneurs. I'm now in my mid to late 70s. I'm a published writer. Go believe it. And I have, as you say, four books in print. Um, Quite a good life. I appreciate how fortunate Mm -hmm. I am. Uh, How I started in writing, I had a sixth grade teacher who was very, very supportive. Her name was Mrs. Abendola. I thank her each and every day. And she pulled me aside one day and said she thought I had a lot of talent and encouraged me to write. Um, You remember things like that. And I've since heard stories from people who said they would have loved to be writers. They would have loved to write. But somebody discouraged them or said, nah, that's not very good. And um, I was fortunate. I had Mrs. Abendola in my life. Really? That and it's wonderful that you can remember her name <laughs> and especially what she what she did to encourage you because you're right, there's too many there's too many kids that age out there that just feel like they're not quite good enough and and to know that that someone in your background was able to let you know that yes, you are good enough, um really inspires a lifetime. And I know that you, yeah, and, and, you know, just speaking about that particular grade level, um, you know, what, 10, 11, 12 years old, I, I know that you do a lot of speaking engagements and a lot of personal appearances. And I think the thing that, that gives me such great joy to hear from you is 
how many kids that age are really getting into your books, not just the adults that love them, that love the whole series, but kids. How do you how do you respond to that? It is very heartwarming when someone tells me that their ten uh, year old, eleven year old, twelve year old daughter or granddaughter or grandson um, loved the book and picked it up. Um, uh, because the grandmother or the, or the the parent said, "Boy, this is a good read. Someday you might be interested in it." But today's youngsters are so much um, more advanced in um, in seeking out information, and the internet has helped that in, entirely. But it, it is very heartwarming for me, and occasionally at an appearance, I'll have a um, a youngster who will come by and say, "I loved your book." And uh, at first you say, well, you know, what did you love about it? And they start talking about the characters as though they are people they grew up with or people they live next door to or people they would have loved to know uh, or somebody like a person they know. And it's very, very um, uh, heartwarming. I can't think of a better phrase than that. I love it. And, And because of it, I have sought out uh, teachers and, and uh, educators to address children in schools. I've appeared at a number of uh, schools to talk about writing in, in general, uh, how I started writing, and to encourage them to write uh, about anything, as long as it pleases them, as long as it gives them um, uh, uh, a pathway to express themselves. I, I think with all of the communication devices we have, we don't have as many ways to express yourself from your heart, from your, your inner self, as writing will do. Absolutely. So you, you've kind of taken your sixth grade teacher's inspiration, and now you've, you're paying it forward to another generation of children and grandchildren out there. And I think that's very commendable um, for an author to do. Um, tell us a little bit about um, why did you decide to self-publish your books and not go the traditional route of, uh, you know, literary agents and publishing houses and, and all of that? Um, and has it been good for you? Well, it has, I believe it has been very good for me. And, and, uh, and I, I never really considered that this would be a full-time career. And so I, I just naturally didn't think of going to a, a establishment, which would be publishers and, and uh, agents. Uh, I was encouraged by my, uh, actually my daughter, who's, who pushed me to publish the first book, uh, The Jefferson Files. And so I looked into what does it take? And you hear all of these commercials from companies that say, uh, if you're an author, We'll publish for you. We'll get you in all the stores. And the first printing of the Jefferson Files was done through a company like that. And it wasn't a satisfying experience for me. And conversations with uh, writers I have grown to know over the last couple of years tell me for them as well, it has not been the way they preferred to do it. 
You want to make some of the decisions that only you can make. For instance, I like larger type for my readers. I like tinted pages for my readers. I think it, it creates a more pleasant reading environment. Most publishers I now know uh, prefer smaller type and white, bright white pages because it's cheaper to produce. Well, when you don't think it's going to be a career, uh, you don't think, how do I save money? You just say, I want my word out. And so I found over the, the, the period of the last couple of years, because the Jefferson Files alone has been, in, it's now in its seventh printing, I found um, a printer in the Midwest to create um, a finish to my satisfaction. I go through several editors, professional editors who uh, make sure that the spelling is right and the grammar is right. And I, I really lucked out and found a graphic artist in Florida. And she has been terrific at creating covers for me, first time out choices that I love. They tell the, the story of the book. I'm proud of each and every one of the four covers because she really has captured the message within the book graphically. And so, yes, it has been very satisfying, very rewarding. And when you add to it that it has helped introduce me to other writers with similar situations, um, to all kinds of readers from 10, 11, 12, all the way up to I have a 92-year-old uh, former musician from Hartford who writes to me all the time. Uh, it's a very nice part of my my life uh, as my third career well and you've had the ability to pull together your own team so that you like you say you're and and i i have to commend you as for this as well that i think everything you do is with the reader in mind and not so much the bottom line where you find most publishers or even authors in some cases are looking. And I think that may be the secret sauce is if, you know, <laughs> if you keep the reader in mind and you, you publish and you write according to, to what that reader is going to experience, then your, your opportunity for success, I think is a little bit greater than, than, concentrating on the bottom line. Um, so I think it's great that you are so thoughtful and mindful of the readers all the way through the publishing process. Well, you know, that brings me, let's, let's get into your books because, and, and I have to tell everybody out there, like you went through the process of, of the way that you like things done and published. And I have to say as, as a reader, this is probably one of the best written and edited books that I have had the pleasure of reading. And I've read quite a few books in my time and, and a lot of, of well-known authors as well. And you can always find the typos. You can always find <laughs> those little goblin mistakes that are made and, and not picked out. And I mean, I'm, I went through your book with a fine-tooth comb, but I couldn't find any. I was, like, frustrated. But, I, you know, kudos to you, kudos to the editors, because you did a fantastic job. It's, it, the books are just great to read. They read well, and it's, it's just a wonderful experience. So go ahead and, and describe um, 
how this series came about and, and maybe a little bit about each book. Well, it started from left field. Uh, I, I, my second career was to travel the world to turn companies around. And so I spent a great deal of time on airplanes and in strange hotels and airports and, um, and read and read and read whatever I could find just to keep myself sane in, in the quiet of the moment. And um, about 12 or so years ago, I came across a small item, a news item in a USA Today about a uh, uh, operation the FBI was doing on the East Coast against um, a group of elected politicians, local, state, federal, that they believed were on the take. And so they created a sting operation to, to, grab, uh, to grab these in their web, these people. I couldn't help but wonder, as I put the USA Today down, what would my hero, uh, Thomas Jefferson, had, have done if someone said, here's a bushel basket full of money? All I want is a little of your influence. Who can it hurt? And maybe you'd agree with doing it anyway, and the money is just extra. He was always in debt. He always needed money. He died in debt. What would he do? And then it struck me, well, you know, this is my hero talking. I, I hope he'll open up a window and take the people who were tempting him and throw them out the window and throw the money out after them. But, but he was human. And so were these other politicians. They were human. Maybe he would do what they did. What would Thomas Jefferson do? And, and I was sitting on the tarmac of a plane in LAX, and I took out a legal pad and started... Uh, uh, putting together my challenge to my hero. What would you do if I threw a real moral dilemma at you? And that's what became the beginning of the Jefferson Files. By the time I got home, I had maybe two or 3,000 words written. I had a skeleton of where I wanted it to end. And I threw it in the pile with other writings I have done um, since and before. But there was something intriguing me, intriguing in the concept that kept me going back to the pile and maybe working a little bit, changing things. And eventually I had 85, 90,000 words. Well, it sat in a corner until my younger daughter picked it up and said, you know, this is pretty good, Dad. You should publish it. And what reaction should I have? I said, you know, you're my daughter. What are you supposed to say? Of course you're going to say it's good. No, it's really good, she said. <laughs> Ask a stranger. Well, I was working at the time with someone who was an avid reader, always had two books in his hand, it seemed to me. He did not like me. I did not like him. But we had to work together. I took my name off the manuscript. I sent it to him. And I said, uh, came across this. What do you think? About a week or so later, he called me and he said, this, this thing you sent me, who wrote it? I said, I did. And he started to laugh. He said, you could never have done anything this good. Tell me, who, who wrote it? I said, I did. He said, I'm going to ask you one more time. 
And if you give me the same answer, I'm going to hang up on you. I, he did, I did, and he did. I hung. I put the phone down, thought for a few moments, and then called my daughter and said, we're going to publish. And we did. <laughs> Seven <laughs> what a great later, story in itself. <laughs> <laughs> it was that, never it's meant always to be a, uh, uh, a series. It was a book. But I started to get, I started to do appearances. And I started to get emails back that said, tell me more about this person who solved this mystery. Because I based him on a real person who at the age of 16 was thrown into jail for hacking the computer system of the Department of Defense. There was a movie written about him in the 70s, I think, that Matthew Broderick uh, starred in called uh, War Games. War Games, that was it. And I was intrigued by this young man who at the age of 16, at a time when computers were um, exotic things that people didn't even know about in, in the general public. And uh, the mail that came in was, tell me more about this guy. And so the second book, The, uh, uh, the Hidden Treasure Files, was a result of just trying to flesh out this person for my readers, and that was going to be that. But by the end of writing the second book, I was in love with this guy. He was a really different human being. And uh, that gave me the third book, and now I'm working on a fourth book. But there are now people who know this person who never would have known this person before. <laughs> in my well, book, that's he, right. his name is Will James, but his real name was Jim James. Oh, well, that's fascinating. It really is. It's fascinating to me that to get the backstory on the characters. And there are other characters in the Jefferson Files that I thought were very interesting as well. And maybe you can explain how, you know, this is a historical novel, which, but it jumps back and forth in time. And <laughs> To me, that was the fascinating part about it was that, you know, we had this going on in real time, I'll call it, in, in our present day time. And then you had this whole other story going on at the time of Thomas Jefferson. And how they connected was mind-blowing, I thought. To me, it was, anyway. I thought it was just great the way you were able to do that. Well, I wanted to... Um... I wanted to broaden the challenge. Originally, the challenge was what would my hero do if confronted with a moral dilemma? And then it struck me, uh, you're a fan of Thomas Jefferson. You're a, he's a, you're a hero. What about you? What would you do if you were faced, you being me, if you were faced with the reality of knowing something about your hero that maybe went contrary to the public image. Would you hide it because you're protecting your hero? Would you bring it to light because that's the right thing to do to correct history or to adjust history or, or alter it in some way? And so that's how the story from 1806 became a story from the 1990s. And I would say there's a lot of my hero worship, certainly not me, in the... Uh, uh, the main characters in uh, the Jefferson Files. 
I did five years of research, and in the back of the book, although the the, uh, the printing is fairly large throughout the book, in the very back of the book, there's an, a, a number of pages that are in teeny tiny print, and that's the bibliography I used in five years of research on and off to see if I couldn't put as much fact uh, around the fiction I was creating. And so a lot of the people I talk about in the parts of the 1800s are real people. The uh, uh, the uh, Speaker of the House is a real person. I went through his background and used as much of it as I could. Um, the Attorney General is a real person, and I did the same for him. And so by creating a second cast of characters in modern day, I was, I was kind of challenging the challenger. What would my hero do was the first challenge. What do you do when you learn something about a hero was the second challenge. And I then took some of the characters into the second book and third book and now in the fourth book. They've become my neighbors. And I think I know them well enough that I now can do dialogue that would be real for them, not pretend because I'm a writer and have the ability to put anything I want on the paper they did. That's how they would sound. So thank you for noticing that because it, it just evolved. Well, it, that I think is what made the book so interesting to me, and and I got to tell you, it, and and you know, this is another another teaching moment. Reading your your books is, be, I found myself, I, I read the bibliography, I found out who was real, and and so forth. So I start googling. So I'm googling these <laughs> characters out of the past to find out what the backstory is. You know on in history of that person. So I got a few extra history lessons along the way as well. And let's hope that the, that the kids out there that are buying your books and reading your books are doing the same thing and, and really getting down into learning about some of your characters. You know, it's funny you should say that there was a 12 year old girl who, um, who came to one of my um, uh, appearances because my itinerary is is posted on my website, and she and I said to her, um, "Was there anything in particular that you liked about the storyline?" And she said, uh, um, "She mentioned a couple of the scenes which intrigued her." And I said, uh, "Well, I'm sure there are things in your life you'd like to write about. Write about them." She said, "No, no, no. Let's stay on your book." She said, I finished it Sunday night. I couldn't wait to go to the library at school the next morning because I didn't want to Google. I wanted to read on a piece of paper some about some of these people. And yes, that that became a history lesson, I guess, for her. But if I would have said, well, what did you learn, young lady? <laughs> it would have been a, a, a turnoff, but... Instead, she had an interest, and that's the best source of learning. You have an interest, you start digging. Right. Nobody has to tell you to do that. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Well, how does how does the um, how do the characters from the first book go into your second book? How does the, how does the story carry over? Well, in in this 
first book, again, because it was not meant to be a series. It was just a book. And by the second book, it became the Will James series. And so now I had to create a backstory for him, as I did for every one of my characters. I, uh, I define uh, my characters in a way that says you have to know enough about them so that if somebody says, what do you think they eat for breakfast? I would be able to answer with uh, even a, a, a little bit of what might be the reality of life. And so the backstory of my Will James became uh, not just he was uh, charged and convicted and thrown into jail for hacking a computer, but what do you do with that information? Well, um, I put him in a situation where he now finds other people for whom his talent can keep him safe in the environment of a prison at 16 years of age. Uh, even if it's, if it's a juvenile prison, it's dangerous. And so I, as I developed his background, I started to flesh out some of the people he would have been around in his early life and, and maybe now in the new life of being an investigator. And so in the first book, one of the key factors is that a diary surfaces through the help of a... Uh, um, uh, a man who reluctantly runs an antique store. Well, I bring him to life because now the second book takes place in his antique store, and that starts that trail. Um, by the third book, I now have a cast of characters, including the head of one of the New York crime families, who all of a sudden becomes a major factor of feeding new information to Will James because they have created a, a bond of some kind. And it builds. It naturally builds. I'll tell you a real quick story. I, I, can't, I write from 10, 11 o'clock at night till sometimes 2, 3, 4 in the morning. And one day I got to, uh, to my uh, uh, computer and I started writing. It just flowed. I had maybe 1,500 words, which is a lot for one sitting. And I was very satisfied with myself. I saved it, and I tried to go to sleep. Something kept me from going to sleep. I, I just kept going back to what I had written that I was so pleased with when I went to bed. And it's, this is going to sound schizophrenic, but it was almost as though the character was nudging me saying, why did you make me do that? You know I would never have done that. I don't even like the person you put me in the scene with. I'm not happy. I got it's amazing up, how I, they become so the, real and vivid in your exactly. mind. You hear their, I don't want to say I hear their voices, they'll put me away, but you start to see them as, as flesh and bones 360 degrees. I ripped up, or in the case of modern writing, I deleted the 15 or so hundred words that I had and started from what would he have done? Where would he have been? Who would he have confided in? And, that's, and that, that makes it easier. I tell everybody I only wrote 25% of the last book. The characters wrote the rest. Ah, and I believe it. Very interesting there. <laughs> 
it's 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 not always a bad thing to hear voices in your head, especially <laughs> if it turns out to a series of books like you've written. <laughs> so so bridge the gap. Go from book number two, which the title is The Sweet Revenge Files. No. No, actually, no. book number two is The Hidden Treasure Files. The Hidden Treasure Files. So how does it? How does The Hidden Treasure Files bridge over into The Sweet Revenge Files, which is number three in the series? Well, over the course of the first two books, I created a series of villains um, who seem to be getting away with bad acts of, of injustice. By the third book, The uh, Sweet Revenge File, I bring three of my... Uh, one of my worst characters and two new, new characters to life to get revenge on the people who have caused them not to benefit as much as they felt they were just to benefit in their misdeeds. And that's that bridge. And I, um, and I again flesh out what would Will James do and how would he get involved. And I do something that I've been told by other writers is such a terrible, terrible, terrible act as a writer. I kill off one of my favorite. It became natural that he had to die because of what was developing in that storyline. I pick up in my new book, the one that I'm writing now, I have about 20,000 words in a new book. The working title is uh, um, The Return to Sender File. And that picks up what happens when my uh, uh, main character, Will James, faces a personal loss by the death of that character. And so it was a natural flow for me. And so and it's going how, to flow. How the characters, and to show how the characters take over, um, when I did the second book, I kind of wrote out a short summary of how I would do a third, fourth, and fifth book if I were to go that far. And what is now book four was not even in my thought process. It just developed from the, the way the storyline went in book three. Mm. And so it just is, it, everything is just developing, ah, that we should all live long enough to write as many books as we have inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, you know, that brings me, I, I mean, this, Readers have to have to read this. I mean, it's just that good of a series, truly. And I'm I'm not just I'm not just patronizing you because you're my guest. I really believe it. It's just a great series of books, and and I know I sped through the first couple very quickly, and um, I'm looking forward to the fourth one. But this brings me to something that you did that's a little bit off the beaten path as far as as the Will James mystery series. You have just recently released a book that you co-authored with your daughter, Amy. Tell us about that book. Amy is a very special young lady. Uh, she currently teaches college English in New York. She is the warmest, 
sweetest, most giving human being in the entire world. And just like I in my early years, she writes at night, on weekends. Uh, She's published several books of poetry on her own. She is the most modest person I know. You will have to drag out of her the fact that she has books that she has written and maybe perhaps, God forbid, you might want to buy one. No, that's not Amy. And so one of the lead items on my bucket list was someday to write something with my, my Amy Herman. And we talked about it a little bit, and I told her, you know, I, I really would like to do this. And she said, oh, that's great. I would like to do this. And we sat down one day and said, let's do it. Let's just start. And it became a book of short stories about uh, life and love and romances and relationships and lifestyles that um, – Some were more uh, of interest to Amy and became an interest of mine. Some were more interest of mine that became an interest to Amy. And so she wrote some, and I wrote some, and we wrote some. And the the end result is a very special dress. And I'm so proud of it. I'm proud of it uh, for a number of reasons, uh, mostly because it gave me more time with, with Amy. And as a result of that book, uh, my older daughter, Jessica, and I are planning to write a book on business, and that will be my next book after the uh, – actually, I can't even say after because we're doing it together. At the same time, I'm finishing off the fourth book in the Will James series. So it was a very special uh, experience for me, and I'm so happy that I got to do it. And it really sounds like it. And and in the process of doing this book with Amy, did did the two of you uh, discover things about each other that maybe you didn't know before? Interesting question. You know, I can only speak for myself. I learned to reappreciate her warmth and basic goodness. She's a wonderful young lady. Not to mention the skills she has developed as a very gifted storyteller. Uh, I can't answer for her, but I can tell you that the times we spent together were absolutely wonderful. And at the end, when we did the final editing to bring it down to the final almost two dozen stories, I I went to her uh, apartment and over a two-day period, we literally went storyline by storyline, almost word for word, and finally read each one to each other. And that resulted in the ones we finally chose. So, uh, What a very special moment. If there's anything that you you would like to do with a child, do it. (laughs) That that is just so special. And... I'm happy for you. I'm happy for both you and Amy that um, that you were able to have that time together and and the creative um, the creative process and the end product of book that you're sharing with the world. I mean, everybody out there can get it and read it and appreciate it. And now that you've told the backstory, they'll know they'll know how much more meaningful it is. Well, 
our time's running a little low, so I, I really want to go into where our audience can buy your books. I know you've you've done a tremendous amount of personal appearances in the New England area where you're from, um, and we're we're now we're now trying to get that presence of you um, online so that we can reach even bigger, bigger audiences all over the world. If we could possibly do that, that would make me happy. Um, But (laughs) so I I know that your books can be purchased on all of the online books, bookseller sites like Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and IndieBound. They all carry it. Um, But I, I really, to me, the most precious gift is the fact that you offer to autograph the books. Um, then they can buy directly from your website, correct? Absolutely. It, 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 it is a pleasure to do that. And, well, uh, and, and uh, I, I, uh, I'm surprised often by the reaction to, from people who um, – who say, uh, uh, would you be willing to sign it for me? Of course. That's my pleasure. That, that's, not, that's my gift to me, to you. And, uh, and, and even the people who will write into my website um, and say, I, I want to buy a copy, they mm-hmm. will add and please autograph it too. And it doesn't have to be to themselves. It could be a gift. I think there's nothing more precious than a signed copy of a book it's the most personal thing you can give, and so uh, sure, I'm, I'm delighted to do it. And my website, if I can be so um, uh, commercial, is martinhermanauthor.com. That's great, and and I will say that uh, you are a very reachable author. Um, you know, there's. Of course, maybe when you get big and famous, you won't be quite <laughs> reachable, but you're very personal with your readers. And, and I just love that about you, that, you know, there's there's not one reader out there that can't get a hold of you some way. And Absolutely. it's And it's very much appreciated. The contact with readers is very much appreciated by you. And so, you know, if anyone out there is reading the books and they would like to get in touch with with Marty, go to his website, leave some comments, and by all means, please leave a review on Amazon. Um, they are so important. It's it's you know it's the heartbeat of an author to know that that their labor of love has some semblance of success. And if the readers are enjoying it, we want other readers to enjoy it as well. So those uh, those reviews will they pump up the rankings on Amazon so that more people will enjoy it the way that you have. So I, I really encourage people to take a minute and you don't have to buy the book from Amazon. You can, you can go on Amazon and if you have an account and just leave a review, it's, it's just that important. It's the feedback that we, we really need. And I, I just also, as we're coming to a close, I want to um, just say that we've re- restarted your newsletter. And we are hopefully going to be much more consistent about getting updates on specials and, and 
things on the new books and your appearance schedules that will go out in email form. So anyone out there who's interested, please go to Marty's website, martinhermanauthor.com and, and subscribe to the, to the uh, newsletter. It, it would be your advantage to do so. So Martin, as, as we close out the show, is there any parting thoughts that you would like to leave to any particular reader or any group of readers out there? I would like to encourage everybody out there to write their story, their story. If nothing else, it's their legacy. And I have been appearing in schools. I've been appearing in, um, in senior citizen centers. I think everybody has a story to tell. It's your story. It's what makes you unique. Write it. And I buy everybody's first book. Let me know that you've written a book. I'll buy it. And you should feel great today because you sold a book and you didn't even start it yet. <laughs> but that's my <laughs> message out. And, and that's I have a, great. a personal email address. I would love to hear from anybody. And I do respond to every note that I get, everyone. And my email address is mherman194 at prodigy.net. mherman194 at P is in Paul, R-O-D is in David, I-G is in George, Y.net. Love to hear from you. And thank you so much, Delilah. Well, you know, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule because I know you are book solid. And, you know, <laughs> if anyone doubts that, go to your website and look at the calendar. I don't know how you keep up with it truly. But, um, you know, that's that just goes to show the importance uh, that you put on actually personally meeting your readers and having that personal contact. And um, I appreciate you taking the time today to just talk with me for a little while and we will get this out and hopefully gain a lot more fans for you. So with that being said, again, go to martinhermanauthor.com to see all of Marty's books, what he's doing, where he's going to be. And we will see you next time on Imagine Publicity on Air. Thank you.